Plugged In Podcast, presented by the Institute for Energy Research. To find out more about our work, visit our website at instituteforenergyresearch.org. Welcome back to the Plugged In Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Stevens. I'm a policy analyst here at the Institute for Energy Research. And I'm Jordan McGillis, Deputy Director of Policy here at IER. Joining us today to discuss the Transportation Climate Initiative is Paul Craney. Paul is the spokesperson for and is on the board of the Massachusetts Fiscal Alliance. Mass Fiscal is the state's largest 501c4 organization that holds state politicians accountable for their voting record on issues of taxes, spending, and the budget process. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. So we plan to talk about TCI today, the Transportation and Climate Initiative, and we will get to that. But there's been a, a major development in the Massachusetts climate change policy discussion. Uh, a undersecretary for climate change, David Ismay, has gotten himself into some hot water. And evidently, as of this morning, uh, today on which we're recording is the 11th of February, Thursday, he has resigned uh, on account of some comments he made um, that were rather distasteful regarding the climate change discussion. Paul, why don't you fill in our listeners on just what Ismay said, uh, the context, and what it led to? Absolutely. So I think TCI and today's demise of Ismay are all related. Uh, He is the undersecretary for climate change in Massachusetts, which means he is the official in our state that deals with climate change. So he's got a tremendous amount of power. We have to remember he's a bureaucrat, but but he holds uh, a very powerful position in state government. In Massachusetts, in the middle of pushing forward a climate bill that's very aggressive, probably one of the most aggressive in the whole country. Um, We are now one of the only few states who are enrolled in the Transportation and Climate Initiative, which is also very aggressive. And our state is on the path of putting um, very large structures in the ocean of wind turbines. So there's a lot of climate related activity in our state. It's not just a typical bureaucratic position. This guy's got some power behind him. And uh, it came to our attention last Friday that he did a Zoom meeting in the state of Vermont. So out of state, he's doing a Zoom meeting where he's talking to a lot of climate activists. It's part of a state uh, hearing of some sort on climate change. And he gave about a 15 minute speech of which uh, he went into uh, more or less what the state has to do to hit these arbitrary climate goals. And he said, I'm paraphrasing, but if you want to watch the video, go to massfiscal.org or our, our YouTube page at massfiscal. You can also just Google David Ismay comma videos and it'll pop up. Um, but where he basically said in the state of Vermont is that we don't have more bad actors in the state of Massachusetts. So we have to go after the people who, com- who emit carbon which are in the transportation sector and the home section, the home ownership sector. Uh, and those are people who live across the street, the ordinary people, including people on fixed incomes, the elderly. He was trying to make a point that there are no more bad actors, no more big power plants that are emitting uh, emissions, and it's everyone else that has to be um, targeted. And in order to hit these very drastic climate goals, he talked about putting the screws on these ordinary people and, quote, breaking their will. And then at the end, he finished by saying, I can't even say this publicly. But he was saying it publicly. He was actually blurting out the truth. He was playing into all the, the fears that we had at Mass Fiscal. We have been warning the public that this is actually what we're doing, which was contrary 
to what the administration, the Governor uh, Baker administration was saying. But now we have his climate official saying exactly what we've been saying. Uh, and as a result, it received a lot of media attention, uh, made um, not just statewide news, but I think national news because mm -hmm. it was uh, so transparent. Uh, and as of uh, actually late last night, but it was reported this morning, you are right, Jordan, he resigned from his position. There's a lot to talk about here. Uh, the way kind of the saga played out is something, but the, the comments themselves, and to reiterate to listeners, these are quotes. He said that they need to, quote, break their will and turn the screws on people uh, to push forward the, the climate policies um, and to influence people's behaviors and to change their lifestyles. Now that's frankly, as somebody who's engaged in this policy discussion, that is the unvarnished truth. That is exactly what these policies, um, TCI being one, the wider uh, climate policies of Massachusetts and then carbon taxes generally, that's what they do. They introduce, putting it in charitable terms, they introduce a price signal. But what that means is you are making people's uh, preferred activities more expensive, um, less convenient, more difficult, and you are softly coercing them into a different way of life. And uh, this is the phenomenon of saying the quiet part out loud. Anyone who's honest realizes that's what these carbon mitigation policies are about. They are about changing behavior. And typically put in, um, in terminology that doesn't make it sound so harsh, but it is precisely what um, Ismay said. It's about elevating prices, making people realize that the right thing is to do uh, things they don't want to do. Yeah. And Jordan, if you want, I could actually read you his direct quote. Sure. Right. Uh, so do you, that. Go ahead. Yeah. So your audience has it. And again, you can find it on Mass Fiscal's YouTube page. If you and go, we, to, we'll, we'll share your uh, your YouTube link in our show notes for sure. But please awesome. do read that. Please do read the so, quote. Let's just get it. Yeah, out on January 25th of 2021 at the Vermont Climate Council meeting, David Ismay said, so let me say that again. 60% of emissions that need to be reduced come from you, the person across the street, the senior on fixed income, right? There is no bad guy left, at least in Massachusetts, to point the finger at, to turn the screws on, and, you know, to break their will. So they stop emitting. That's you. We have to break your will, right? I can't even say that publicly. That's his quote. There you have it. Uh, yeah, that was that was a pretty harsh way to describe how you change people's behavior. And I think a lot of these politicians, unlike Ismay, who's not a politician but works for government, they rather try to uh, water down that type of message. Mm -hmm. They want to tell you all these wonderful stories about how they want to change your behavior. But the scary part is that, again, Ismay is not just some bureaucrat. He's the guy that's in charge. He has a tremendous amount of power, and he's kind of showboating and in another state with some bravado about turning the screws on, you know, the person across the street, including the, the person on a fixed income uh, to break their will. And, you know, he's trying to get people to shake their heads during the Zoom meeting. And he did. Uh, so it was um, it was the truth. We all know that's the truth. We know that's their their goal. But um, he's like you said, he said the quiet part out loud. So that happened on Friday. It took off uh, on Friday. The governor had a press conference 
talking about the vaccine rollout in Massachusetts and the Boston Herald, um, their reporters who are very scrappy went to the press conference and asked the governor about this and the governor distanced himself uh, to Ismay's comments. He said, I saw the video, our Lieutenant Governor saw the video, I'm paraphrasing here, and he doesn't speak for me. And mm -hmm. no one in my administration should think or say those things. Uh, and I think they were kind of hoping that over the weekend, the story would die. There was a Super Bowl and a snowstorm up here. But on Monday, Mass Fiscal decided to uh, do a Freedom of Information Act into is Ismay's department asking for all the public records uh, that, his, that he has um, produced over the years, talking about, quote, turning the screws, breaking people's will, uh, the person across the street, the elderly on fixed income. We want to see how frequent he uses these terms amongst his peers. And is it something that's supposed to be in his job description? So we're going to wait to get that back. And then on Tuesday, a group of bipartisan lawmakers uh, put a letter uh, to Governor Baker calling for Ismay to be dismissed, uh, telling the governor for the reasons that we all agree with that this was uh, out of line, that a public servant shouldn't be viewing his constituents the way Ismay does. And that received a tremendous amount of news in the state. And then on Wednesday, Mass Fiscal released a second video. Uh, during that same interview in January in Vermont, Ismay went on to talk about the wind power that they want to produce off of Cape Cod that is close to Rhode Island. And Ismay talked about how Massachusetts wants all this clean energy, including solar and wind. And he said something to the effect of, I know there's fishing out there, but some things have to give. Well, now he's talking about the winners and losers. And he's saying some things need to give, meaning the fishermen and the things that are going to be winning are these huge structures going out there with cable lines uh, for the electric power and these windmills. Um, well, fishing is very important to Massachusetts and the Northeast and, and um, New England. And very close to that area is New Bedford. Uh, it's one of the most prosperous ports, uh, I think, in the country for certain types of fishing. And the mayor of... Um, New Bedford was asked about this and he said, this is incredibly unhelpful, what Ismay is saying. Because, you know, in these jurisdictions where there's a big concentration of people who rely on the fishing industry and they want to impose these huge structures that are on paper and concept before they're actually out there, there's a delicate uh, sales approach that has to be made to the public out there, including these fishermen communities. And I think uh, the mayor realized that this is not being very helpful when you start talking to audiences in Vermont, out of state, talking about winners and losers, meaning the fishermen are gonna be the losers. Uh, so that also blew up on Wednesday and Wednesday night, uh, this gentleman resigned from state government. So it's great to see that um, someone with those views are not in that position of power. We sent a statement today uh, uh, praising that development, but also encouraging the Baker and the Polito administration to have someone in that position that is more aligned with the vast majority of Massachusetts residents who put the priority of the ordinary people of Massachusetts forward and not uh, very extreme climate policies. Pardon my ignorance about the nature of his position, but is the undersecretary someone who would have personal contact with the governor? Is this somebody that the governor would have been involved in appointing? Yeah, this is uh, someone that reports directly to the Secretary of Energy, 
Um, okay. And it's kind of the one-two punch for energy policy in Massachusetts. But, you know, it's Massachusetts is unique in the sense that climate is front and center with certain uh, environmental lobbying groups, and they have a lot of power. So climate may not be that big of a deal in some states across America, but in Massachusetts, you have to remember, there's a whole industry here on the climate lobby and the environmental lobby. So this is one of their key people uh, that had to step down a disgrace. And I think the climate agenda in Massachusetts now is going to be... Um, is going to be somewhat uh, wounded from this because, like I started to say, you know, what he said is the truth. It's not disputable. It's how he said it. And the fact that it contradicts a lot of what the administration has been promising people, which is all these climate policies, including TCI, won't be inflicting this pain, but it actually will. And we all know it. it we will. Yes, That's so what we've been warning people about. It can't be taken back. This is a person who helped to construct the policies and he stated what his motivation was. Um, so do you anticipate that your freedom of information query will yield um, maybe some emails that link Baker to this sort of mindset? Um, that's to be determined. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful Massachusetts is a very opaque state government. A lot of um, politicians are exempt from public uh, meeting laws and public record laws, but we're going to try to get to the bottom of as much as we can. But the governor, you know, this this person worked for the governor. This person spoke for the governor. Uh, the policies that the governor is championing, this person is trying to implement. So there's no question they're, they're tied hand in hand. It's just now all of a sudden there's a media firestorm because he's been, he just said something out of state um, which contradicts what they've been trying to sell us in Massachusetts for a number of years now. Um, shifting to the, the Transportation and Climate Initiative, which is what we uh, or, originally wanted to have you on uh, for. Um, so this is a proposed like interstate system to limit emissions from fossil fuel energy. Could you just outline the basics of the program and then just sort of explain um, how the cap and trade system is supposed to work? Alex, I feel like you totally teed me up for that and you may, may not even know it, but um, yeah, TCI, the Transportation Climate Initiative, we like to say it's short for TAX, it's a tax. It's basically a gas tax. It's a way uh, where you can limit the supply of fossil fuel, gasoline and diesel into a region of the country. So you dramatically drive up the price of those goods in the hope that it will lower demand. It's really that simple. It was a scheme designed by Georgetown University. Initially it had 12 states from Virginia all the way up to Maine. Uh, basically, those states were ready to go. I mean, that's the truth of it. Uh, and then there was a resistance that was formed in those 12 states where organizations and business owners and taxpayers and, and activists started to pipe up, not just conservatives. In fact, in some of these states, they're, they're left-wing activists who say, you know, this is nothing more than a way to subsidize electric vehicles for the rich on the backs of working people. Uh, the, in Vermont, you have the head of the AFL-CIO. That's a big union saying that. In New Jersey, you have environmental justice advocates saying, hey, we live in high areas, and this is just a way for some suburban people to have their electric vehicles. So it's not necessarily just a Republican conservative thing. It's really, um, it's really a farce, and some people are starting to notice it. But it was originally supposed to be 12 states. Because of this resistance emerged and uh, spoke up, and put pressure on their governors, on their legislatures. Now it's just three states, just Massachusetts. Governor Baker was the um, 
was the biggest proponent of it. So he signed up Massachusetts and uh, the governor of Rhode Island and Connecticut have signed up their states, although those two states need a legislative vote, so it's not a done deal. And those votes will have to take place this year or next year. And the governor of Rhode Island is already out of office now. So the new governor of Rhode Island actually comes from a um, oil and gas industry, small business owner family. So he's familiar with the needs of New England and how to keep your houses warm. Uh, so it's, you know, it's yet to be determined. I think it's about 8% of the 12 states have joined, uh, which shows you that it's basically a big old belly flop. Uh, and there's other um, governors and state leaders who have actually come out and rejected, including Governor Sununu in New Hampshire. He was the first person to speak up and he actually said, no way. Uh, he took a lot of heat for it. Um, there was a lot of pressure put on him. The advocates, including Governor Baker, uh, including some of the governors and some of the advocates in, that are close to Governor Baker in Massachusetts were saying, you know, if your state New Hampshire doesn't join up, you're still gonna have to pay because gas goes through your state. So you get no benefit, but you still have to pay. So there was tremendous pressure on Sununu and kudos to him. He stuck his neck out the most. And as a result, out of all those 12 states this past election cycle, no state uh, saw that much political shift compared to his state. Not only did he win re-election, he actually flipped both chambers from D to R. And I think it had a lot to do with that issue. He got a lot of attention for it. The Democrats in the legislature tried to push legislation forcing him to, to vote on it. Uh, or forcing his state to uh, accept it. And uh, he got the biggest reward. Susan Collins from Maine also used this issue on her campaign. A lot of people thought that she was um, not gonna win her reelection. She was going against a very popular, young, energetic speaker of the Maine legislature. The speaker was a big champion of carbon taxes. And if you watch some of Senator Collins as she used the the, the same kind of concept of TCI when you fill up your gas tank, how much it's gonna cost you. And it was a very effective ad in Maine. And she drove that issue very hard. She didn't run from it. She used it as her advantage. And Susan Collins, I believe won every county in her state except for two. It was a wipeout, not even close. Uh, this issue goes very well politically for people who are against carbon taxes. Um, and that's, that's basically the TCI in a nutshell. But what's very interesting why it ties to the David Ismay story is because TCI empowers bureaucrats or even people who don't work for government but who all of a sudden have government powers to be the ones in charge of regulating uh, goods that we rely on. That's what TCI would have done. They would have set up a different uh, organization probably called TCI where they're not elected, they're quasi government, quasi not government and they're the ones making decisions for how much uh, gasoline and diesel goes into your state. So if you're a constituent or a taxpayer business owner and you have a, a grievance with the system and how it's designed, you can't go to your state lawmaker or your governor at that point. It's a done deal. You got some bureaucrat or quasi-bureaucrat located in Washington, D.C. or New York City who's making these decisions for, for your own state. So this is May, um, situation I think is very applicable. And I think there's probably gonna be many, many more ismays in the future if we continue to empower these bureaucrats or these regulators or these activists having all this power over, um, over you know, um, power sources. I've been looking at this issue for about a year and I focus primarily on the policy, the implementation. You have more knowledge on how this came into kind of the public consciousness in the first place. 
Can you explain what the Georgetown Climate Center is and what its role was here that would seem to play into what you're referring to uh, with these kind of non-governmental bodies that are would be involved intimately in this? Yeah, you have a lot of um, kind of like left-wing um, money being sent to some of these institutions and they come up with these schemes and then they try to get government to buy into these schemes. And before you know it, now they're starting to impose what they call uh, market-based compliance systems in your state. And that, that sounds really nice. Like, oh, I like a market-based compliance system. What does that mean? Well, that, that just means a carbon tax. That means now we're gonna put a tax, a price of something uh, that yesterday didn't exist, but now we're gonna tax you on it. Uh, so it's, a, it's basically a, just a scheme. It's a way of getting around, calling it a straight up carbon tax. It's a way of giving these entities that are not involved with government, that have no accountability to the constituent, a ton of power uh, where they can start regulating um, states and people's lives. That's, that's how this all started. It came out of Georgetown University and uh, in Massachusetts, our state secretary of energy was the chairperson of this uh, TCI exchange. And once it became an idea, now they have a schedule for the states to join. And that's what we're in the midst of right now. We have three states out of the 12 who have officially joined and they're gonna start to kick in these gas taxes starting in 2022. It could get delayed a little bit because of the pandemic, but that's that's right now what they're shooting for. Remember, two of those states need to go through a legislative vote. Um, any state can join from now to then. It goes all the way from Virginia up to Maine. Uh, we just heard that North Carolina is looking at this as well. Their governor's interested. Uh, so states can join and they can leave. But frankly, once they join and once the money starts getting taxed from uh, from drivers, and these politicians start receiving this money, it, you know, these states will not uh, withdraw from these schemes. They're gonna continue to um, rely on these schemes to, to tax people who drive uh, without calling out a tax and without being accountable to a vote. Um, from my understanding, a good number of the states that are uh, considering participating in TCI or were originally part of that, uh, that group that you mentioned um, they already participate in the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, or are they they're, um, contemplating that? Could you explain what that is, and is there an overlap between the two, or what uh, what connection is there? So we're talking about Ridgey, right? That's yes. Gonna, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, they're very they're very similar. It's the same type of scheme, where um, you know Ridgey has to, has some differences though, but the same idea. It's let's put out some arbitrary goals to lower emissions go after the things that cause emissions, force them to capitulate, there's gonna be some costs associated which will then go to the consumer, which is you know us, people who have to heat our homes. Uh, that's, that's basically what Ridgey is in a nutshell. Um, and now they're trying to do that, but they're calling it TCI, but for people who own vehicles, you know, vehicles that rely on gas and diesel. Uh, it's a little bit harder because, you know, with Ridgey, you're talking about a handful of uh, entities that produce energy for a region. Uh, TCI is anyone that owns a vehicle or anyone that relies on vehicles. And frankly, anyone within those states, because we all 
purchase or consume things that are, sh are shipped into our states via truck. So just the cost of goods in general would go up drastically, uh, which was very interesting with this whole scheme of TCI from day one. Uh, they know that the more people hear about it, the less likely they are to support it. So uh, some of the basic fundamental questions anyone would ask, like, well, how much do you want to raise our gas taxes by? Uh, they have been very reluctant to share. Uh, it's, it amazes me that these governors even contemplate this without asking those questions. But when they first uh, raised TCI right before the pandemic hit, they did share that they want to raise gasoline taxes. Uh, and with that cost, they also provided some benefit, you know, quote, environmental benefit. They said if they could raise the gasoline taxes without entering into a TCI scheme, carbon emissions over the next 10 years will be reduced by 19%. So do nothing. Technologies will advance. The policies we have right now follow them. Without TCI, over the next 10 years, it'll be a 19% reduction. With the addition of TCI, which comes at a very high economic cost, they said anywhere from one to 6% in addition. So now we're really debating 1% reduction in, in CO2 emissions in the transportation sector. Knowing it's gonna cost our region a lot of money. That was before the pandemic. The pandemic happened, and I would argue the pandemic has had more environmental benefit than any carbon tax policy could ever propose because people just change the way they, they function. They don't drive to the office as much, just you know, people are on the roads a lot less. So we know for a fact carbon emissions has been reduced a lot in the last year. So then TCI came out more recently in December of 2020 and they said, well, guess what? We, we scrubbed our numbers and the cost is gonna be a lot less than what we previously proposed. But even more good news, there's a higher environmental impact um, or a higher environmental benefit, which you know you and I listen to that and it doesn't make any sense. How is it that the cost suddenly goes down but then the environmental benefit increases. And it's because they're baking in what's been going on with the pandemic and their numbers, but they don't wanna tell you. And even till this day, to this day, they still haven't disclosed how much they wanna raise diesel prices by, I, which to me is like, how can you do this for this long without anyone pressing them on how much do you wanna raise the cost of diesel fuels? Uh, but of course they know if they start talking about that, there'll be even less support for it. Okay, so with the uh, dwindling support and focus on this, I know Massachusetts, Governor Baker has said therein, mentioned that Rhode Island and Connecticut would require uh, their legislatures to assent. What, what is the path forward for TCI? When would it theoretically go into effect? And what happens if it's only a couple of states or if the states are scattered, say Maryland and Delaware join, but the, the other mid-Atlantic states don't, and then you've got the New England states? Um, that's a really good question. Um, you know, when they first tried to sell us on TCI, they said, this is a regional approach. Uh, this, you know, it works because it's, a, it's about 40% of the country would be enrolling in this. Um, you know, it's, a, it's, it's great economics too, because there won't be any states that will feel the, the pinch more than others. Um, and then all of a sudden people started to ask questions. And as we saw, uh, there's huge parts of this proposal where people are having nothing to do with this. So, you know, I don't, I don't know what's gonna, I don't know what's gonna happen Jordan down the road, but I do know that our side 
folks that want to make sure that the cost of living and doing business continues to remain competitive. The folks that don't like honing capitalism, where you, you pick winners and losers in the energy market, we've got to stay on this because they, you know, you heard from Ismay, they want to, they want to break our will. They want to uh, turn the screws on us and they will continue to try to do that as long as they can. You know, as soon as our side kind of gets um, tired of the fight, that's when they're going to pounce. It doesn't take much for them to have a governor sign on who's willing to take the heat. And once they sign on, it's very hard for a state to pull out. But uh, as far as the environment goes, uh, even when all 12 states join, I don't think it's going to make much of an environmental impact whatsoever. Uh, the reason for that is TCI admitted it. You have to remember, they admitted, they said with all the 12 states joining, it's only a one, one to 6% reduction. That's not that, that's not that very much. And any type of policy, including environmental policy has to be weighed with the benefits to the cost. Uh, there's probably other ways where you can help the environment. That's what I've always said. Uh, you know, the cost of TCI is, is way too high. If you're in it just for the money, if you're just a big government politician who wants the gas tax, pass it in your state. At least you get to keep the money. It doesn't go to some bureaucratic agency in New York City or in Washington, D.C., then get funneled back to your state. Um, but I, I don't know what to make of it if it's just a few little states. I mean, that's just uh, incredibly dishonest, in my opinion, because a few little states aren't going to do nothing for the environmental uh, CO2 emissions. And I also think it's incredibly arrogant for states like Massachusetts to pass stuff like this, thinking we're going to make much of an impact. I mean, for us, a little state like Massachusetts, I know we have the famous John Kerry who thinks he's making a big impact, but for us to think that if we do all these things, it's actually gonna do much to affect the world's climate is uh, very arrogant for our state leaders to think that. And unfortunately it comes on the backs of our taxpayers. Mm -hmm. Well, we commend you for uh, really spearheading a lot of the, the opposition to TCI. You've done a tremendous job and, and then in particular bringing to light these in comments. Well done there. Uh, Thank now, you. what Alex and I are aware of in your work is this energy stuff, but Mass Fiscal does more. Can you tell our listeners uh, what else you're engaged in? I mean, what we really do is we hold government officials, including lawmakers, accountable to their voting record. In this case, it's a government bureaucrat and what he is uh, pursuing with his policy. Uh, but our niche is that we hold lawmakers accountable to their voting record on taxes, spending, the budget and transparency. We have uh, a legislative scorecard at Mass Fiscal Scorecard. You can also just find it on our regular website, massfiscal.org. Uh, but if you go to massfiscalscorecard.org, you can see in Massachusetts, all of our state leaders, uh, our elected state senators and state reps. And we give them a score based off of how they vote on those issues. The higher the score, the better they vote with us. And this is a way to hold them accountable to their voting records so that constituents have an idea how they vote. Great. I think that's a great place to leave it. Our, our guest today has been Paul Craney of the Massachusetts Fiscal Alliance. Paul, thanks for your time today. Thank you.